What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, January 23rd, 2023, and this week's episode, Hill and Moreno Spoil the Brazilian Crescendo. We'll recap a very eventful UFC 283 from Rio de Janeiro. Obviously, a new light heavyweight champion in Jamal Hill and the return of another flyweight champion in Brandon Moreno, as well as the highlights from the undercard. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news. It is rumored that UFC 285 could be getting stacked as one of the biggest events that we have seen in quite some time. And we will touch on Francis Ngannou's public address about what happened in his split with from the UFC. There's some fight announcements. There's a lot to go over. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Double G. What's going on, man? Yeah, the Francis thing. It's still like burning. A, it's still taking up a lot of space in my head, but I know we'll get to it uh, Get to it later. But how you doing? How have you uh, recovered from a madcap week? I'm not going to lie. It, it was pretty wild. I, I had a very busy weekend, not just because of MMA, but that's for another podcast. Um, I will touch on it. I started The Last of Us show. Okay, me too. That wasn't that wild. I mean, <laughs> we're not going to... Look, I know they have a podcast talking about that show, but man, I also agree. It was wild. I highly recommend it if you're it's, into that uh, sort of thing. Yeah, the suspense, the level of suspense is supremely high. And if you think about it, a spoiler alert in some in some way, they hardly show you the 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 you know the bad guys the boogeymen if you will right oh yeah they, you they... you don't it's just it's just all with music and angles and you know editing and and acting like the old fashioned way oh it's you psychological see, right yeah you don't see a lot of anything I don't know if you you caught up because there's the second one came out already did you watch that one too? I am uh, yeah I finished the second one it was yeah, quite man, a lot it was a lot but like you're still not really able to fully grasp this. This whole world that they've created, and that's actually very scary because, you know, you think about The Walking Dead and they hit you with the zombies like day one, boom. This is really taking its time and that makes it scarier. Oh, yeah. You know, there was almost as much blood as there was on Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I know. What a beautiful segue. Um, Man. All right. So Saturday's main event, um, Glover Tashira, Jamal Hill. I feel like you almost got to put into context what the fans are going through. It's like 3 a.m. when the fights are getting done. It was, uh, one, I'm aware that they were cleared out before Jamal got the belt wrapped around him. Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of reasons, but yeah, to get into it, Jamal Hill, Glover, Tashira, I will say one-sided in hindsight, Glover, Tashira... He tried to make some things happen, some key takedowns and key moments. There were a couple exchanges. It felt like he got like a a good shot in on Jamal, and you thought maybe you know, is he rocked? Could he you know use this to get him down? Could he do some damage? Could he really just hit that you know hail mary and take this one back right and have that you know obviously we we discussed it it would be quite the sight for glover to regain the title in front of the brazilian crowd it just wasn't meant to be jamal hill um well conditioned 
did did work on the feet just picked his spots used his range used his speed really lit up glover on the outside was able to push him forward defended a ton of takedowns neutralized the damage in the moments where he was taken down and on his back uh just comprehensively just a solid win um if they had stopped it late in the fourth before the fifth i wouldn't have been mad at it but I appreciate that Glover got to go out the way he wanted to go out. I think that when you talk about leaving it all out there, he left it all out there. And I, I'm sure that, you know, with time, he'll say, man, like, I gave it everything I had. So I have nothing to, he has nothing to question about his career. Like, well, if I this and I like, man, you left it all out there. If anything, it's a, it was bittersweet because I felt like he was making people even an even bigger fan of him at the end of it. So it was just really, um, obviously Glover Teixeira retires in the cage. Class act toward Jamal Hill. I'm sure we'll touch on that. But what were your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, it was, look, the, the Glover style that beat Jan and, and, and won the belt off of that victory that almost beat Jiri was not in attendance on Saturday night. And that's, you know, it is it is what it is, right? He still looked good, but Jamal Hill was just too young, too fast, too hungry. You know, it was just the perfect the perfect matchup for Jamal Hill and, like, the worst matchup for Glover Teixeira. But for me, the biggest takeaway of the bout was the takedown defense and like overall grappling prowess from Jamal Hill, I didn't expect it. I don't know if most people did expect Jamal Hill, even at his young age, to be able to, you know, like 10 years younger, but still to be able to, you know, resist, overcome, overpower anything that Glover had to offer as far as grappling goes. I didn't expect that. So that was a big surprise probably for Glover to share too. Yeah, his face was tore up. I mean, the commentators kept Glover's face. The commentators kept saying, there's blood spraying everywhere. Man, yeah, of course. We talked about it. We wanted him to win the bell at home. Walk off into the Brazilian sunset. But the world had other plans. And and I think in spite of how it ended, again, like you said, it was still, you know, on his terms. I do wish the crowd had been there. <laughs> All of a sudden, like all the, all you see is red seats everywhere. But I wish they had been there for his retirement speech. However, when you think about the whole career, right? He was still champion, and 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 before he won the belt, despite having a long and successful career, I would say he was an unexpected champion, right? By the time he did it, it was against tough as nails, Jan Blahovitz, and he was like 41, 42 years old. So. If you just stop the film right there, that's a beautiful way to finish your career, right? You beat Jan at that age. No one saw it coming. That's the pinnacle moment. And for most fighters, I think, that retire from MMA or, or boxing, but mostly MMA, your your pinnacle moments are usually a, a really great win against a tough opponent, a, a great knockout, a great sequence, fight sequence in the cage, you know, combination or scramble or something. They don't all get to win the belt before they call it a day. So when I sit back and think about Glover Teixeira, he won the belt. It was a beautiful thing. Now, the very, very, very last chapter of his MMA story ends with defeat in Brazil. But still, man, he, he got to taste that sweet victory. And that's 
that's very special. So I, I'm glad for him. But again, I wish that crowd had that that arena had been full of people to really give him the love when he announced that that he was calling it a day. Yeah, I, but and, I didn't know it was three a.m. So. Oh yeah, they. Were, let me tell you something. I feel like they were like, guys, we we actually have work in the morning. Yeah, we, yeah. we 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 can't actually stay here. <laughs> you know. Um, I heard uh, I've heard several people. You know. Working, we're like, not really, like, the sun's about to come out soon. <laughs> it's time to wrap it up. But, um, and I, I completely get that as having done, I've gone home late from quite a few events. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it really is. It's like, guys, like, I, I, I got a, I got a flight to catch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually don't want to talk to them at you know at this hour. I mean, I do, but it's like but if you they, don't, yeah. If you tell me it's not going to happen, I won't fight it. Exactly. Because you also got to remember, like, especially if you're working, beginning of the night to the end of the night, that's a lot of hours. That's a lot of hours. Yeah. Not also like at least for the fans. Okay, the pay per view ends at ten. Ah, oh, that was great. Awesome. Yeah. And you wind down. I'm still working for like another two and a half hours after yeah, you guys have changed the channel. It's like 5 p.m. to midnight, and then that's when you get to go back to your wherever room, home, to do your editing, your submitting, so, your so writing. St- so straight up. So uh, normally I get to, let's say they're in Vegas, I mm-hmm. get to the arena around 2 o'clock. Oh, I leave earlier. around 1 a.m. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, so you think 11 hours straight, and it's like, psh, you know, on top of all the emotions of fight night and, and the, the stress, the, 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 work, pressure, the workload yeah. that you take on, but that's beside the point. <laughs> um i really love glover's a uh, couple notes on it I, I love glover's speech just hey you know he saw what happened with moreno and we'll talk about that right now and said man you know he's gonna walk out with me i don't want you guys disrespecting him and i was like oh mm-hmm. what a guy right yeah i mean just uh i can't leave this show without acknowledging that just i mean i, I get it being nice doesn't sell fights all the time a lot of people could take notes from a guy like that, you know, so I love yeah. that. Um, the, I know it's been gift now, but like the water, wherever Jamal Hill was cut, but they dump water on his head and it looks oh like God. he's being soaked with Gatorade. And I'm like, oh, bruh, that was crazy. So a, a lot of memorable stuff from the fight. Like I said, I mean, the Brazilian fans, it's 3 a.m. At this point, and obviously, you know, we're working in reverse, but they've now seen back-to-back Brazilian champions really not look so hot. You're also remembering that this is the time when it is peak alcohol has been in their system. You know, <laughs> at, at the end of the night, you've had all the beers you're going to have. Your buzz is dying. So it's like, I understand why people didn't stick around at a certain point, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Before we move on to co-main event, I did see that year he talked with Ariel Hawani and he said July or August. For the life of me, I don't want to see him in July or August. If that shoulder is anywhere near what they were saying, you take extra months. I don't want to see you till 2024. Because I want the best chance not only for him to look like the guy that beat Glover and we got excited about. I want him to be that guy for a long time to come. I don't want him to rush it just for the sake of, you know, ego or just anything else like that. I think that he is a guy worth taking the time for. I hope they don't pressure him to rush back. I hope that 
they just take the most time because I want to see the best Yiri take on not just Jamal, but these other light heavyweights. Now, if it happens, July, Jamal, Yiri, love it. Okay, if it is what it is, then I know I'll enjoy it, but that's just my two, two cents on that. For my money, they're probably going to schedule Jamal and Magomed and Kalayev. I think that Magomed, he was kind of taking momentum. So even though it was a draw, I feel like they would give the fight to Magomed over Jan Blahovic. And like I said, if there's anything that delays the return of Yiri, you probably, you got to keep the show rolling. So I feel like that's what they would do. What about you? Yeah, you do have to keep the show rolling. And I don't think, I'm with you, Jiri. Look, based on the information that was relayed to us, it seemed like it was presented as some kind of catastrophic shoulder injury, right? They they called it the worst one they've the UFC doctors have ever seen. <laughs> when you hear how it happened with someone trying to uh, re I don't know if they relocate a dislocated shoulder and just tearing stuff up, you know, yeah, take your time, man. But then I think about Jerry and he's like that kind of dude, kind of like a Tony Ferguson who like just knows their body and can just go into that space in their mind to heal themselves. So I kind of feel like if he says he'll be ready by then, then, then he will. I mean, he gains nothing from putting himself at risk coming in, you know, half, half healed. So I'm kind of just... I feel initially like, yes, that's a terrible idea, but I'm going to just trust the guy and say, if he thinks he's ready, then he'll be ready. Um, that being said, July, August is still far enough away that I'd like to get the someone else in there beforehand. So who was your suggestion for Jamal Hill? Magomed uh, and Clive. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, of course. And then, you know, at that point, whoever wins could fight Jiri in August. Um, you know, where does that put Jan? Yeah, you know, he didn't lose that fight, right? It was a draw, so or a split, a uh, split draw. So he deserves to to be in the in the conversation too. But but yeah, I like that Jamal Ankalaev for sure. Yeah, I mean, you could do Blahovich, Anthony Smith at some point. I yeah. mean, yeah, there's options. But for my money, don't rush Yiri, do Hill and Ankalaev, and you know. That just makes it more anticipated when we get to the comeback. Um, co-main event, Brandon Moreno, Davison Figueredo, number four. Um, not going to lie, we didn't see anything we hadn't seen in some form a little bit prior. I right. thought that it was actually rather competitive. Uh, I thought Brandon was trying to sit down on more. I felt like he was trying to engage and initiate a little more. Whereas in the third fight, I felt like he was trying to stick and move and pick his spots i felt like in number four he kind of wanted to sit down throw a few more punches in each exchange before getting out of there i thought davison was hanging out with him i thought he caught brandon a few times i didn't feel like it was quite as one-sided as you know people kind of have seemed to relay it in hindsight but i thought that davison was more in it than uh, a lot of people might have suggested at the time for sure, though, Brandon was just getting fist-to-face more. I felt like he was being a little more active. I felt like it was essentially the opposite of the third fight. I thought that Davison with him, but he just had ground he had to cover, and he wasn't doing it. And then, obviously, that third round... It was third round, right? Yes. I believe so, yeah. 
um, has that uh, obviously awkward, you know, the knuckle, go, you know, uh, upon review, the knuckle hits the right eye, I believe it was, of Davison. And then as Davison's circling away, Brandon kind of pushes off. And there are two fingers that brush like the forehead, like the temple. I did, you know, they replayed it a bunch. I didn't see it ever go to the eye. Obviously, you'd need to keep the hands closed. But point blank, what Davison was complaining about was a fair hit. Nothing illegal, nothing controversial. Uh, Davison's eyes swells up. That's a wrap. Uh, ref calls it off. Brandon Moreno is the new and again bantamweight. Sorry, flyweight champion. What were your thoughts on the fight? You know, I gotta tell you, sometimes I I have to. Uh, I don't get to watch every fight live, so because just doing the mom stuff. So by the time my son was asleep, I turned on the pay per view, and uh, Brandon Moreno, like the third round just finished. They're showing the replays of that punch. And I see Figueredo's face, and I was like, oh, my God, they had a war. This must have been insane. Um, and then they called the fight, and it was over. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, you know, watch the Glover to share and everything. Then I go back to watch this fight, and I was like, okay. It wasn't at all what I thought it was. It, it was what you described was a competitive fight. You know, they were going back and forth. For me, Moreno was always a little one step ahead, a little bit faster, a little more interested in the fight. Like, Figueredo just didn't look as intense as he usually does to me. But what surprised me most was that the damage that ended the fight was really simply caused by one hard, hard shot. And when I watched the the impact live, the sound of it was like a, a bat hitting a baseball. You know, it was cracking. And you don't usually see hear that loud with, you know, a fist hitting the face. Usually it's like a leg kick, you know, a shin to the head that gets you that crack sound. It was hard, dude. And if you think about every once in a while, you do see a fighter get punched in the face and it hurts so much that they just instinctually think it was an eye poke and they start trying to tell the ref, hey, I got poked in the eye, but it's like, nah, you just got hit really hard and probably you broke your orbital lobe. I think that's what happened to Figueredo. You know, I haven't followed up to see what actually the diagnosis is, but it was such a hard shot that his eyes shut almost instantly and it looked like a, a makeup like a movie movie makeup, right? Like the way it was just shut completely. It looked like, um, you know, they just put like some putty on there like you do, uh, you would see in a, in a movie where someone got in a fight. It was a really convincing shut eye. Like the doctor didn't take very long to make his his determination. He we just know tells, this one's done. <laughs> it's done, bro. Like he's holding up his fingers, Figueroa's saying the wrong number. <laughs> Like that's always a bad that's sign, all she wrote, bro. He gives them another chance, still getting it wrong. Um, hey, that's like when you try to argue when you just full face plant it, never looks good. Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? Yeah, you're like, oh no, I'm fine. Come on. Um, so all that is to say, it was a clean victory for Moreno. The my favorite part of the fight was the scrambling because they're just wicked. You know, at 125, man, they're so fast and they flow, flow and float on top of each other, and um, it was great. So I'm super happy for Moreno. It's a clean victory. There can be no controversy, no questioning. You described it. It was as it was. A thumb with the wrap hit the the lobe, and, um, yeah, then the other hand brushed the forehead. That's it. No controversy. 
Um, but I was surprised that Figueredo in the end took off his gloves, not to announce retirement from MMA, but retirement from 125. He's moving up to 135. So the weight cut must have been hellish, and he must have just felt terrible in there because he didn't look the same. He was yeah. active. He was doing hard leg kicks, but he just didn't look like – let me see. Usually he's fighting with power and, like, fearlessness. This time it was just kind of going through the motions, a little bit of instinct, and that energy wasn't there. So, you know, I think it's probably the, the best move for him. He's already done. What more can you – what more do you want in a division? You already won the belt. You beat a bunch of guys. You know, go test yourself at 135, and you don't have to kill yourself to make weight. So, you know, that's good for him. And as for Moreno, man, like, let's just keep that conveyor belt rolling because he's so fun to watch. Uh, I'm very pumped for for his uh, his reign at 125. I bet Kai Kara France wants to get back in there. <laughs> oh yeah, that that that's fair enough. Um, I was going to say, yeah, I, I feel like it was very telling. I think clearly. He just felt that the effects of that weight cut, he had to have. It's like the first thing he wanted to say is that yeah. I'm moving up to 35. It's like, no, nah, like if you felt like you had left a lot out there, clearly he felt like, no, nah, I just, I was not myself. I know I cut too much. I know this is over. And it's, it's unfortunate, but because like I said, it, he wasn't out of that fight leading up to it, but it is what it is. Um, For the record, I, I doubt it's going to happen, but. If you told me they want to do number five, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But let me make it clear. I want you to fight Kai, Manel, Pantoja, uh, just about everybody else. Ricky Samad, just grab them all. If you're yeah. at 25, I want to see them fight like six, seven guys each. And then you could do number five. You know what I mean? That's how much I felt like this fight left it open. That being said, I doubt it's ever going to happen. They would go in different directions. Okay, it is what it is. It was a lot of fun. Um, Davison, uh, take some time off. We'll look at who's available at 35, and we'll revisit that conversation. For Brandon Moreno, it has to be Pantoja. Pantoja's on the win streak. Pantoja's the one who got the first-round submission back in July. Uh, Pantoja's the guy who's beaten Moreno twice, once in UFC, once on um, Latin American Ultimate Fighter. Um, very simple. Just let him get better, and the, they got to book that. I'm assuming Texas, Southern California, somewhere where there's obviously a large Hispanic population for the fight. What about you? Yeah, I mean that that's a that's perfect. You should give Dana White a call because that that sounds pretty right on. And then book uh Kai as a a backup on the same card, and and we're good. You know, I, I mean, I, I know he's already booked, if I'm not mistaken, but... Oh, okay. Kai, no, 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 no. What I was trying to say, Kai and Manel Cape. I feel like that's the number two fight is former Ryzen champ, guy who was the backup for the title fight. On a roll, Kai Car France is out there. Um, yeah, just keep it moving, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know, wait, I believe he's 35. I was going to say Habib's cousin. Umar Nurmagomedov, is he a flyweight or a bantamweight? It's, mm, I'm having one I don't of those. know. <laughs> Let me double check that real quick. But yeah, my my point being is that you know, it's actually a good time in the lighter weight classes. So it's like okay, we go from there. He is bantamweight. Never mind. Anyway, but yeah, the fact is that there's options out there for him. 
to talk about some of the highlights of the main card, um, obviously Gilbert Burns looked great against Neil Magny, did what he does on the mat. Um, look, that's not easy to do against Neil. We've been over this, but... But it Gilbert, looked so easy. <laughs> yeah, he looked so dialed in. I think that was the thing I took away from it. He was ready to make that roof pop off in Brazil. I appreciated it. I appreciated the hustle in front of his people. Loved it. Uh, Ultimate Fighter against Colby Covington. Don't mind it. I want to shout out Oscar Willis when Gilbert Burns put him on the spot and said, who should be Colby? Me? Who should be next for him? Me or Bilal? I don't even care if you say Bilal. Oscar actually hit him with a great one. Well, they just signed this new deal for uh, Brazil with Fight Pass. I think it would be a great sell if a Brazilian like you fought Colby on Tough. <laughs> Loved it. That's a good one. If they go below Muhammad I, Burns, below Muhammad Colby, wouldn't mind that either. There's three guys. One of them's going to get screwed, plain and simple. <laughs> also, Burns way. below. Let's just do it, you know? We have we don't know what's next for Colby. You kind of feel like he's just going to come out of nowhere with a big fight. Don't know. Right now, don't care. I just want to see these guys get after it. So whoever we get first, let's just roll with it. Um, any thoughts about that? No, I don't really. I mean, the thing about Colby is, yeah, he's going to pop up whenever he's ready. And we can't. He's I don't how do I say this without sounding mean, but like he's not important enough that we need to keep wondering waiting worrying he'll show up when he shows up if not mma always keeps rolling right it just keeps rolling no one's irreplaceable like we were saying last week so yeah there's plenty of hungry dudes that are entertaining and exciting and and yeah let's go well burns just feels so exciting right now after that performance against hamzat even though he lost yeah yeah. after this one Bilal muhammad's obviously on a great run it's like look He's gone MIA. That's enough for me to say, look, there are guys ready to go who are fighting. Let's get it. So that's always been my thing about it. Um, Once again, I'm sure they'll take their time. They'll consider it. They'll ask everybody and then they'll make a decision. Um, Lauren Murphy and Jessica Andrade. um, High stakes. A lot of people, you know, brought this up. Could be big for two weight classes. And Jessica Andrade, probably the performance of the night in terms of a comprehensive beatdown people saying daniel cormier forgot his mic was on he's telling the ref to stop the fight yeah um just a lot of you know the train just kept running through the car you know like back to the future three it was just really and look i've seen what lauren murphy said look she's a warrior just like any of the men glover and everyone probably is okay going out on her shield the fact is, that was, you know, when you're on the wrong side of one of those, I get that you're tough. You don't got to prove it to me. You don't got to prove it to anyone. But my goodness, it's like, look, if you're not showing something, at a certain point, there's a reason why it's a sport and not just people in the backyard anymore. Right. So, what did that, she say about it? She was just like, you know, all these people saying this. I'm glad my corner didn't stop it. I'm glad the ref let it go and it's like um i don't know i guess she didn't like so many people saying that fight should have been stopped mm-hmm. you should have shame on your corner shame on the ref and she was like no nah, you know like like this is what i'm here for you know but um you know wow. that's just her business but uh, i mean do you have anything to say about the fight yeah you know yes many things <laughs> i'll keep it brief first let's be clear the fight should have been stopped 
there's no competition in a one-sided beating, right? That this is about competition back and forth. Who's the best? Like that was already decided by the end of the first round, middle of the second round. Lauren Murphy. Do you know what a century Bob is? Yes. Those yes. The okay. guys that are scowling that they hit at the gym. Yeah, exactly. It's like a flesh colored torso with a head, Yeah. you know, armless and you just punch him and his head flops around. That's what it looked like. And that's a horrible thing to, to see, you know, happening to a real person. And, you know, a, a sanctioned sport, right? You don't want to see it in a street fight, but you would expect it in a street fight. You wouldn't be so surprised. I also want to point out, she, she did, uh, I do remember, and I feel like it's important. She did also point out, why don't I get the chance to be like Pereira or like Usman Edwards and have the hit the Hail Mary? She did also bring that up, like, well, why are people acting like I shouldn't have gotten that? And it's, you know, but continue. I'm sure you're, you're right. about to touch on it. <laughs> no, no, it's, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> That's a fair point. But they were not as down on the cards as she was. She was getting obliterated, getting beat, getting out grappled. That's different. They weren't getting, taking the same kind of damage. They were not taking the same kind of damage. She was, you know, because she was still physically able to bounce and move, it kind of made it look worse because every time she ate a shot, she would kind of do a little hop and her head would flop around. And then she was just getting ping-ponged between Andrade because Andrade has that funky style of fighting, you know, very old-school arm-winging style. So she's just going like left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right. So her head's just bouncing around in there like a... No, I said ping-pong. I meant to say... um, What's that other game? Uh, like pinball. Pinball, thank you. Yeah. In any case, yeah, it was hard to watch. I totally respect what she's saying, though. Like, if she felt like she was fine... And maybe she gets a thrill out of it. Maybe she gets a freaking kick out of being in there and getting, you know, beat up. And, and yes, there's always an opportunity for that Hail Mary moment. Or that's always a possibility. Um, but it didn't look like she was ever going to get that opportunity. She was just trying to survive. She never, like, planted her feet enough in rounds two and three to show me that that was something she was thinking of or trying to do. Um, so yeah, I think the fight should have been stopped, but you know, she's tough and she has a big head. I don't say that as a diss or anything like that makes a difference. And so, man, if she's okay, then okay, fine. But it should have been stopped, whatever, however she felt about it. The, the whole point is you have a corner and you have a ref. They're supposed to be, at least the ref is right. The 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 third party, the um, objective third party that's there for your safety, and that I don't think that ref was was really processing what was happening there. Maybe he thought because they're women, they're not hitting that hard. I don't know, but I'll stop blabbing about it. It should have been stopped, and that's just how I feel. I mean, yeah, every fight is case by case. Uh, you, there's so many little factors. Who are you dealing with? Body language, the amount of damage. Um, also always go back to this. You look at Roxanne Modafferi, Macy Barber, mm -hmm. Roxanne literally telling us, well, I felt like I should just keep beating her up. Like, why am I going to target her leg? Then you have, um, you know, Ray Longo in the corner of Aljamain Sterling, uh, TJ Dillashaw's shoulder is out of, uh, you know, mm -hmm. is dislocated and Ray Longo's out there yelling at Aljamain. You go out there and 
attacking, no mercy. <laughs> yeah. You know, but then you have nice Roxanne Modafferi essentially letting Macy off the hook. It's like, there's a lot of factors for a ref and corners to deal with. I mean, so yeah, I guess my thing is always when you're taking excessive damage and you are not showing me a strategy that you're going to change it, that's when I feel like the ref might have more grounds to wave it off. I felt like he did on in that fight. Maybe that's just a little bit of me. I would say that if it was a male fight. I feel like I brought that up with Anthony Smith. I mean, it's not in the rule book, but when you're handing the referee your teeth that are getting knocked out while you're taking yeah. a beating, that's a sign the fight needs to be stopped. I don't care exactly. how in it you think you you are. Same thing on Saturday, but I feel like I digress. I understand her reasons why. I understand it's like, hey, this is what I signed up for. Let it go. But it, when you're not showing a improvement, I understand why people say, uh, I, I want to see something better out of it. Okay, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jessica Andrade, did she lock in a strawweight title shot rematch with Wei Li with that one? Because remember, Marina Rodriguez lost. Rosanama Yunus still hasn't come back. And Amanda Lemos just got choked her out in one round last year. What do you think? Yeah. I think so. I mean, Andrade has been, I mean, she could literally jump from division to division to division if she wanted to. Like, she's competitive everywhere. So, like, it just takes one or two good wins in any of these divisions to get her a title shot because she's still a big name. She's guaranteed action. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like just respectfully, Flyweight just is about to be very interesting behind Alexa, Manon Fior. Return of Tatiana Suarez, potentially shaking it all up, you know? Um, if Rose Namajunas decides she's moving up, I mean, there's so many little things that it's like... And personally, I just feel like Jessica performs so great at strawweight. She's such a big problem. Like, Claudia Gadea is a strong strawweight, and she even brought it up like just freaking... You know, like, Jessica Andrade shouldn't be allowed to compete at strawweight. It's just ridiculous how strong she is. Yeah. And I feel like that says everything. And look, I get it behind Rose Namajunas and Joanna at the time. Maybe it was a different ball game. Now, you know, with the girls who are there, the girls she hasn't fought, you know, Marina, uh, just uh, Carla, uh, girls like that. It's like, okay, this is a perfect time for her to be there, you know. So I, I like it. I think um, I'm hoping they figure it out for probably around the summer. Whaley and Andrade too, so... Let's go. Yeah. Um, I'm going to speed through the highlights just because we could be here another half hour. So (laughs) I'm going to just kind of clump them all into one quick one for us. Uh, Johnny Walker uh, pulls that one out against Paul Craig. I I think that was the one It's like, I know Johnny kind of had a resurgence, but you kind of felt like this is one of those that, you know, he's also struggled with. Paul Craig's such a crafty veteran. And Johnny pulled a Johnny Walker type finish out of him and got that, uh, you know, stoppage. Really awesome. Hammer fist. Bonanza. You had the Bonfim brothers. First off, you know, one of them starches Terrence McKinney. And I'm sorry, that one was nasty. I mean, it was, oh, that was, that was good. That, no, that was nasty. Capital N A S T Y. Um, then his brother comes out about an hour and a half later, chokes out Munir Lazez, who'd 
let's be honest, he's been fun television in his a couple UFC appearances. And then, uh, oh my gosh, I was about to, I was butchered like Igor uh, Potieria. Uh, what else can I say? He spoiled the night for, the last night for Shogun Hua. Just wasn't meant to be. Um, I think that was just a lot of age and durability and that he had that Shogun didn't and just, you know, gets the legend out of there. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, the the big one for me was the um, Johnny Walker one because, you know, ever since he busted his shoulder doing the worm, I'm always, like, nervous <laughs> about him coming out to fight because I'm worried that, you know, some antic, one of his antics is going to lead to, you know, just a bad night for him. And so, you know, he's part of that highlight reel for Jamal Hill and that was a bad knockout, but dude, he came he came to to play, right? He came to play in Brazil. Uh, he threw some leg kick. Paul Craig caught it, and then it turned into like WWE, you know, when they hold the leg, and then the other person's like, oh, you know, <laughs> you're holding my leg, and then they do the the drop kick. This wasn't a drop kick. This was just a freaking wicked hook. Uh, and then just a barrage of, yeah, hammer fists from every which way until the ref stepped in. The best part, he, he wins, he jumps up on the cage, and he, he poses on top of the cage like, a, you know, a Tom Selleck and, and Playgirl. Like, it was, just, it I was saw. pretty hilarious. So a great win for him. And at the end, uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, the way he celebrated. So he very cautiously got down to his knees and then got into the worm position, <laughs> and then he he popped back up. So no more falling from his uh you know from his feet down. He learned. Uh, so it was great. It was great for him. I loved it. I mean, let the man live his best life. Yeah. yeah. Um, like I said, it was it was overall it was a great night for Bra- Brazil until it wasn't at the end. Alcohol was flowing. <laughs> I didn't like what I saw happen to Brandon Moreno. I know he played it off, but I was like, oh, he's such a nice guy. Uh, But I get it, Brazil. Like I said, you know, I know that it's peak alcohol. I know it's a tough way. I know there was obviously a little bit of emotion, even though they show the replay, even though they say it's not controversial. Yeah. uh, I mean... They were bitter. It doesn't mean... Like I said, I didn't like it, but I acknowledged there was a situation going on. Does that make sense? So, yeah. that It is what it is. Don't like to see it, but it happened, and I understand why the emotions were high in that moment. Yeah. Um, Obviously, it was a very busy week in mixed martial arts. Um... Before we talk about the rest, you know, John Jones, Cyril Gaon at UFC 285. A lot of talk about a very stacked undercard. Probably the biggest one, a flyweight title fight between Valentina Shevchenko and Alexa Grasso. There were rumors on the same time. It felt like they were trying to just knock them down like dominoes about Amanda Nunez and Irene Aldana. That one is unconfirmed. It doesn't mean it's not happening. Doesn't mean it's not happening in March. But more or less, the feeling is that that's what they're targeting, just maybe not for that March pay-per-view. Okay, this is still a pretty stacked lineup, Natalie. What are your thoughts on, obviously, the announcement of Valentina versus Alexa as a doubleheader with John Jones and Cyril, and now the card as a whole? Yeah, so John Jones and Cyril, again, this is one of those that doesn't even matter what's on the card. Everyone's going to be tuning in to see John Jones and Cyril gone, but... 
remember Alexa Grosso. I can't remember who she last fought, but it was like a barn burner, man. They were just getting after it, right? Yeah. And Shevchenko, like these are two fighters that almost always deliver. And I do believe that when they meet up, when they clash horns, they're going to deliver. So it's kind of like, you know, we're going to give you the big name on top and then not to discount at all. My lady Shevchenko, also a big name um, against a super game opponent, Alexa Grasso. Coming off the heels now of Brandon Moreno, uh, you know, fellow uh, Mexican winning the belt back in Brazil. So I think, you know, Alexa's going to be coming in with everything she's got and then some. And Shevchenko, you know, she would probably deny it, but I bet there's a, there's got to be a part of her that's like, I don't want anyone talking about Talia Santos anymore. I beat her. Let's move on. Watch how I beat this next girl. So there's got to be a little extra fire under her, uh, you know, under her butt, so to say. Um, so I'm happy with just those two fights. You know, that's all I need. Um, if you were to throw Nunez and Aldana in there, if, even though, you know, as you say, it's not totally likely, that would be crazy for, uh, I can't remember what it's called, Jim Los Lobos, right? The, uh, the gym oh, yeah, Lobo Jim. Aldana and Lobo Jim, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a night for them. A lot of pressure, but, you know, it would be pretty awesome if they could both come out and uh, and try to get a win, uh, not just any win, but to try to beat the two most dominant champ- female champions in the history of MMA. Uh, that would be something else. So so the prospect of that makes it extra exciting, but I'm good with just these, these two matchups as they are. I mean, uh, what I like is that they feel like exciting matchups in general. Obviously, the John Jones effect is going to carry it competitively or not not competitively but stylistically striker versus striker i like that for valentina mm-hmm. i look at it as a grouping like jeff neal Shevkat rachmanov huge for welterweight um you got bo nickel finally making his ufc debut you got guys like cody garbrandt you got what might be a middleweight title eliminator Derek brunson dracus duplessis I mean, that's just a solid grouping there. You got names, Viviani Arujo, Amanda Hibas out there. You've got, like I said, Cody Garbrandt's on the undercard, Julian Marquez. Just, it's a solid, it's just a solid grouping throughout the night. So I really like it. But yeah, just for the top of the card, on top of what they already have, it's pretty, it's a pretty good mix. And I really like it in that way. Good matchups, big names. That's what you want when you're tuning in for a pay-per-view at this stage of the game. So I definitely get it. Um, obviously, there's a, a lot more going on. Francis Ngannou spoke out, um, went on Ariel's show, spoke for an hour and a half. Uh, just quickly to get through the nuts and bolts. He did reveal that the there was big money being thrown his way for that first fight with John Jones around $8 million which is reportedly what Brock Lesnar made for like UFC 200 is what's been thrown out there. So, all right, that's the kind of number we're dealing with. Okay. He talked about it. He wanted the three-fight deal. Stipe, John Jones, John Jones, Stipe, John Jones, something to that effect. Uh, He also discussed a couple other things that he tried to push for. Tried to get some sponsorships back on the fighters. Having an advocate there... Kind of like a third party to, you know, when you have to go to business meetings with the UFC. Yeah. And then uh, obviously some health insurance and things like that, too. And I I will say I really liked 
hearing that, I understood where he was coming from. As we've had time to digest it, Natalie, I'm going to just play right down the middle what I felt like I was hearing. We know what money is on the table when you talk about Nganu versus Tyson Fury, right? Mm -hmm. We know what kind of money gets involved. We know what kind of dollars get thrown around sponsorships this isn't a ufc event he could get whatever he wants on his shorts for a big fight like this we know what money was on the table okay dana white said it about a week and a half ago no one gets boxing in their deal so okay we have plans we need a heavyweight champion who's here for us we can't be having you know have a fight take a month off and then everyone's waiting and we don't have the best fighter available okay what I feel like I was hearing was Nganu with the sponsorship thing on the shorts. Well, I'm leaving too much money on the table. Let me make my money back on my sponsorships then. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a lot of money. Essentially, not, can't you know, all right, no one gets deals on their shorts. There are a lot of fighters who leave money on the table with the Venom previously Reebok deal, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. It is what it is. In terms of the health insurance and the advocate, I feel like that was him just trying to do good business after what he said he felt like he dealt with with the UFC. Just like, hey, felt like I was being pushed out, felt like I didn't always have the resources to negotiate well once upon a time, knows he's only got so many years in the game, wants to be set. Not unreasonable, but I also feel like these are things fighters have been fighting for a long time. Fighting for for a long time. And so when I heard this from Nganu, I think that, one, he's going to go out there, he's going to make money, he's going to get money he deserves, he's going to get money he's earned. I couldn't help but think, okay, they didn't offer boxing, and the real sticking point seemed to be that he, when he pushed to try to get that money back elsewhere... They also met him at the wall. And look, like I said, it sounds like the UFC, they said, look, no one gets sponsors on the shorts. No one gets boxing. Okay. They did throw a big dollar amount at him. He turned it down. And I feel like this is exactly, you know, what we have. It's no more, no less. He he didn't want to leave that money on the table. He made the decision, said, I'm not going to. Separated from UFC. UFC said, hey, look, we're not going to change the whole business model for any one guy, even the heavyweight champion, even for the guy who would have the biggest fight for us. Um, we're going to give you this much money, take it or leave it. It was a lot of money. He chose to leave it. And I think that's where we're at. I think that playing it right down the middle, you know, not none of this scared of the competition, this or that. I think that's essentially what happened. What about you? Yeah. This is very interesting because, you know, Francis, those, the request is, is what's most interesting to me. The request that he made and the fact that he was just not even, it wasn't about the money. I mean, he said it himself, you know, he, of course, he deserved, he felt he deserved more money. But at the end of the day, it was about respect and sh- he wanted, I think he wanted the UFC to say, to show him that they could really see how truly unique and special he had, what, how valuable he was as his own brand within the company. And to say to him, 
we respect you so much. We want you so much. We're willing to, to budge on some of these things for you. And of course they wouldn't, even if they thought it made sense, they wouldn't bend the knee. Right. So I was surprised that some of his asks were not specifically for him, but for his fellow fighters. But he says, I knew that they weren't going to give me those things, but I, I asked anyway. And so I think, well, what's the value in asking for those things you know you're not going to get? Is it, I'm being a little cynical, just a little bit. Is it just so that you can say at the end when you're done with them, you know, look, I was trying to do all these things for everyone else and, and the UFC just didn't want to, didn't want to budge even, even for their own roster. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Ultimately, I think, I believe him when he says he feels really happy. He's pleased with his decision. He feels free. I do feel there are plenty of, you know, lucrative opportunities for him in boxing and MMA. And I'm glad for him. You know, I think he did do the right thing. I, but I wish that the UFC was able to meet him in the middle somewhere. And like, you know, what he was offering three fights in a year against the top guys, like that's proof that he wasn't afraid to fight anyone, that he wasn't looking to get out of fighting the tough guys, that he wasn't trying to go seek lesser opponents as Dana White is is trying to frame this. You know, he was willing to go in there. He just wanted to then do his own thing after the fact or if they were willing to incorporate boxing in the contract, then he probably would have stayed longer. The stubbornness, the lack of creativity from the UFC's side is pretty frustrating, but we shouldn't expect anything different. So all that is to say, I'm glad he's going to be able to make his own choices as a completely free fighter. And um, I'm glad that the UFC also dropped the uh, matching clause so that he can just get onto his business right away. So... Yeah, I think that it, at the end of the day, it just came down to what you're leaving on the table. And I think that UFC, I mean, I, I want to acknowledge, I, I understand their business from a pure business standpoint. I mean, you see these things, you hear about, oh, well, certain sponsors, right? And there's conflict. Like, if I'm sponsored by FanDuel, mm-hmm. and I'm out there, thank you, FanDuel, I understand that the UFC probably doesn't like that with DraftKings. And I understand, right. you know, DraftKings is selling UFC we're paying you how much money just for the this guy to stand on our logo in the cage and say, thank you, FanDuel? I understand where a business would be like, hey, we just can't have that. We can't have a guy, you know, like wearing a FanDuel logo over the DraftKings logo. I, I get it from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. Do I understand there's money being left on the table for fighters in terms of what they can make because of that? Yes completely but you know it's also you know another thing we kind of sometimes discuss is that can you really quantify what it's like to have the power of the UFC brand and that exposure you know and I mean we talk about it now there's no secret I heard this said by you know on MMA hour and I I realize it's very completely true there's two types of fans there's fans who watch everything and there's fans who just watch UFC if you just watch UFC, that's fine. I get it. There's so much of it. It's a lot to ingest week to week, particularly, you know, like most people don't watch a basketball game or a baseball game a week. So if you watch 
UFC, just UFC every week, that's a pretty hardcore fan already. And then you have, obviously, the fans who watch UFC, Bellator, PFL. There's no such thing as someone who just watches Bellator. Oh, I only watch Bellator. Oh, I only watch PFL. I only watch Ryzen. If you watch one of those, you probably watch everything. If you there's somebody out there who only watches one, please message me. I have so many questions. <laughs> I don't think you exist, but okay. Um, Let's hear it, right? Yeah. It's hard to quantify what it's like to have that kind of recognition. And other fighters have said it. You know, Anthony Pettis said, you know, these guys leave money on the table sometimes from other companies because they want that contender series exposure. They want that spot. They want, you know, they see a Sean O'Malley, now a Jamal Hill. They see what that could be like, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to tell guys young in their career, like, hey, you know, who believe in themselves to be the best. And it's like, hey, are you going to leave that, you know, for potential stardom? I get it. It's certainly a real thing. Going back to how this ties to Nganu, he knows there's so much money on the table. UFC did offer him a lot, and he said it himself. Yeah, I was aware how much they were offering me. I was aware that it was a big dollar amount. But in the end, you know, he felt like he knows what's out there for him, and he was gonna do. He was just gonna take it. That's what it is. Once again, UFC they have a schedule, they have a business, and they run it the way they run it. Nganu knew there was money out there, you know, decided he wasn't going to leave it on the table and went for it. And here we are. Do we lose the biggest fight of the year? Yes. Does it feel very groundbreaking in terms of the sport? Absolutely. But I think you look at it from all sides with the information we now have. This is where they were at and this is what we got. So and there we are. That's uh, I don't have anything more to add. It's just. I feel like you asked me what happened. Bam. Everything I just said. That's yeah. why Nganu and UFC parted ways. No more, no less. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, I'm no, that was a lot, right? Anyway, <laughs> we've got a couple of fight announcements to get through before we, you know, wrap it up for this week's show. Um, Marab Devalishvili against Peter Jan, March 11th. I love it. Notably, the first one at the theater at the Virgin Hotels. So... We've touched on it. Not the Apex. It holds about 5,000 people. It's not the T-Mobile Arena. But it's expected to kind of be like a new home of sorts. It's almost like the UFC has a red residency now in Vegas. Hmm, okay. So it's like, okay, you know, like I said, not every card is going to be... It's not like it's T-Mobile or the theater. They will still have a couple Apex cards. Everyone says it's hard to imagine they won't, particularly if it's already booked, obviously. But then you talk about the fight. Obviously, Al, you know, Devalishvili is on a run. You have Peter Yan trying to bounce back after two-fight skid. Lost to Aljo. Lost to Sean O'Malley. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is interesting because this, first of all, the Peter Yan, I mean, I know we have to say it was a loss to Sean O'Malley, but I really strongly believe he won that fight. Okay. So two fight skid makes it sound maybe dire, but I, I don't look at it that way. He's still top, top, menacing, dangerous guy. And so for him fighting Marab, my what I immediately thought was, okay, this puts Marab really close to a title shot, maybe even with a win over Jan, and then what happens? Because Aljo will not fight Marab. So 
that's the main thing I'm thinking about. Do you really believe Aljamain Sterling will vacate the title if his training partner is next in line for a title shot? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. Because I think about that from the standpoint that, remember, next month we're about to get Cheeto Vera and Corey Sanhagen. Oh boy. We're still, Sean O'Malley It doesn't have a fight. We're still waiting on Henry Cejudo because we've just been told that's what everything, that's what they're working on. Yeah. So that says to me, Marab fights Peter in March. I mean, he still doesn't get the next title shot, even if he doesn't get a title shot this year unless Aljo vacates before fighting Henry. Like, they might fight in July and then you have to have a vacant title fight in like second half of 2023. I don't know if that happens. Um, That's a great question. Here's what I'm going to say. If the UFC says to Aljo, you're going to fight Cheeto, you know, before uh, Cheeto after Henry this year. Mm-hmm. You fight Henry, let's say around July. You fight Cheeto late this year. He will fight Cheeto before moving up to get out of Marab's way. If they were to say Cheeto wins, Marab wins, Aljo, the next fight is Marab. I could see them saying, yeah, you're he'll leave. But I think he'll tell Marab, hey, we're both trying to make money. Let me fight Cheeto and then you could take over. That's fair. But I think that's the only scenario where we get that. Okay. Um, like you said, I think that that's... Uh, I actually don't have anything more to add. I think that that's the situation at Bantamweight. I mean, there's so many pieces. Sean O'Malley. I mean, the dude feels like he deserves it. I can't... Uh, we had this talk. It feels like, you know, the UFC would want to cash in. I will admit... Having Jamal Hill as a contender series vet now being UFC champion changes my tune a little bit. How much do you need Sean O'Malley to be the face of contender series as a champion? You know, Bantamweight's already got so many things. You feel yeah. like Sean O'Malley's already always going to be around. Him getting a title shot immediately feels a little different now. And I, I'll leave it at that. I, could he still fight? Should he still fight next? Yeah, he's got a great case, but... That's also where we're at, at Bantamweight with Cheeto, Marab, all these high-level guys. So, yeah, a lot to figure out there. Yeah. And I like the theater. I'm excited to go cover it sometime this year. I I just think it'll be very interesting. Um, I don't know about how it's going to bounce with Apex. The feeling I'm getting is that the road is, we're getting closer and closer to a lot more travel. Okay. And I think that you're hearing more. You just they announced ADCC with Fight Pass, I believe, and it's like, okay, so it's not like the Apex is just going to be sitting there. That they're, they're going to be using it, you know, several weeks this year, but yeah, it feels dare I say it back to normal? Like we're kind of getting all the pieces ready and we're the plane's about to take off. Like it's, what is it, what's it called when the plane, taxing, like they're taxing, but they're about to take off for real. That's what it feels (laughs) like. Anyway, um, oh my gosh, it's your favorite person to talk about, Natalie. (laughs) Jake Paul, Tommy Fury. (laughs) You know, the Um, man just keeps. Next month. One month from now, pretty much. We're in January, so he's fighting. Yeah, pretty much a month from now. 
Um, yeah, I, I, look, man, I just, I, I have no complaints here. This is, uh, you know, long uh, in the making, right? This matchup with Tommy Fury. So let's hope it actually comes to fruition. Like if it falls through again, please abandon all future, you know, matchups with this combination of fighters because it's just a waste of, just fight in the streets. Stop yeah, trying to organize it. <laughs> back of a, you know, Ikea, an Ikea parking lot. There's a lot of room there. So, yeah. So, look, happy that this is going to get done. Both these guys are going to make a bunch of money. Um, if Jake Paul looks good, continues to improve and look better and better, this will really set something up great for PFL. Um you know, he'll probably do a call out if he beats Tommy Fury and then PFL is going to be, you know, happy to, to, to take over from there, whatever Jake Paul wants to do next. So this is really something that is beneficial for Jake Paul and PFL. I got to tell you, I've not seen Tommy Fury fight, believe it or not. And so I don't know, you know, I've seen almost all of Jake Paul's fights, believe it or not, but none of Tommy Fury. So I don't know how competitive this could be. You know, Jake Paul looked pretty good against Anderson Silva. Uh, do you have a feeling? I know you've seen Tommy fight a little bit on a Triller card, I think, or one of those. He's, he, he fought on the Showtime undercard, and I've seen a bit of his stuff on YouTube. You know, so the thing that always shocks me about Tommy, he's you see the photos of him, he's such a built young kid. Like, mm. the dude is just, like, his arms, like, he looks like a guy who should be able to do damage in that first round, like Wilder and Nganu. And really, it always shocks me how it's like the guns are for the show, but there's no bullets. Mm. You know, you have these smaller guys, and I feel like he just struggles to do some damage with them. And um, I almost wonder if he's just carrying around too much muscle for his size, and he should be fighting at a lower weight, just so he doesn't have to carry it all around to keep up with the guys in his uh, division. The thing about it is that for the Jake Paul who was fighting Tyron Woodley about a year or two ago, I would say that Tommy Fury is perfect because of the experience, the size, the skills. It's a perfect developmental fight, to be honest, for both men. You know, you have maybe a little more power, athletically gifted in Jake. You know, he's just got that, you know, I don't know, just he's got that touch that... Even the most built fighters either have or they don't. Right. And then you got Tommy, very strong fundamentals. Um, from a pure boxing standpoint, all respect to guys like Woodley and Anderson, but this kid has been boxing, boxing, never boxing for MMA like the other guys have. Right. Okay. Now, at this current stage of the game, like I saw Eddie Hearn's little statement, like the graphic, and he said, you know, frighteningly, like, I can't believe I'm saying this. Jake Paul should be a massive favorite over Tommy Fury. Wow. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, but you too, and the lawsuit, and you know, it's, so it's like, I feel like that says everything you need to know. I feel like, Tommy, you just need to see something that we haven't seen recently. And I said at the time, it was a great fight. I kind of felt like Jake had just breezed past Tommy. They couldn't make it happen, and Jake is on the bigger fish. This is interesting. How do they do it? I don't know. I also heard, an, I saw another one 
and I'll leave it at this one. They asked Tyson Fury, hey, what do you think uh, your brother does to Jake Paul? Sanjay said, I think he knocks him out. He said, he should chin Jake Paul. And Tyson Fury said, if he doesn't, he's going to have to stay in Saudi Arabia. He's not allowed to come home. <laughs> and I'm yeah, like, Psh. no pressure. <laughs> right? So, you know, I feel like Tommy has to show something we haven't seen yet. I think that's what the be-all, end-all. I think that even... Look, uh, I'll tell you what. I know we're going to hype it up. They're going to say that Jake's got the power. Can Tommy step up to the challenge and the hype? You know what I think we're going to see? I think we're going to see just like one of those developmental fights. I think that it's going to be good boxing, not... Oh my gosh, Rocky eight boxing. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be epic. It's just going to be... Two young guys who know how to box, showing just how technical they are. Yeah, Jake's going to try to land the moose knuckle and all that, but I think what's going to happen, well, you're going to have to box smart because Tommy's most likely not going to make a lot of the mistakes that the other guys do just from his fundamentals. Yeah. And there we have it. There you go. Uh, Next, so this week off, oh my gosh, only the last of us to look forward to. How scary. (laughs) But next week is actually very interesting. A doubleheader, UFC, Derek Lewis, Sergey Spivak. So do you understand why they're airing in the middle of the night? The UFC? Yes. They're, the main card starts at... Uh, no, pre- prelims start at 7, main card at 10 p.m. Uh, are they in they, Russia? I no, don't know. <laughs> so they're at the apex, but I believe it's because they're having one. This is the card that was targeted for Korea, but then after they lost Korean Zombie, they were like, well, you know, we're bringing it to apex. But they're also having the road to UFC, which if you didn't follow it, it's essentially kind of like a contender series for like the Asian talent. Okay. And I think that they're essentially gearing the card like, hey, a big part of it is the fact that we're having these final fights. So they want them on local time for Asia. Oh. But what that does is that the regular fight, obviously, for normal fans, Derek and uh, Sergey, that's going to happen in the middle of the night. So it's like, okay, so the prelim guys fight at seven. But then when we get to the real stuff, it was already set to air at a certain time, so that happens at 10 o'clock at night. So Derek and Sergey may not even fight till about close to 2 a.m. Okay, so I'll watch that one in the morning. <laughs> exactly, that's what I thought. I was like, Psh. Derek Lewis is probably so annoyed. Come on, guys. Like, Derek Lewis could set the octagon on fire. I'll see in the morning. Yep, yeah. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I love me some Derek Lewis, but... Psh. Yeah. Of course, yeah. I it's work just, Sundays. You know, I, this is why I think I'm so happy that I live on the West Coast. Because all the East Coasters, bless their hearts, they always have to watch everything so late. Well, I, let me tell you something. I, I think we talked about it. When I did the one card in New York, my word. I was like, you guys do this all the time. It's yeah. just... What the hell? That three-hour difference, it doesn't hit you at seven. It hits you at... 11 o'clock and you realize like they we still got nearly two hours left of fights i would start crying which means two hours more of you know work Mm -hmm. so it's like i'm gonna be here still another four hours i'm beat you know like i said it doesn't hit you till later when you're on the east coast and then 
European fans, they're just like, look, you know, sleep is for the week. This, yes. this we do this every time, you know. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, guys, so we'll be back. We'll uh, obviously preview the action. Fedor versus Ryan Bader and Inglewood. Um, I mean, I'll go over it again, but I, I will be there. You guys will see me, hear from me, etc. But yeah, until then, like, comment, subscribe. We'll be back next week.